Welcome to Culture Crawl ATX Podcast. I'm your co-host, Michael Ward Jr. And this is Donald Scott II. Have y'all heard about the reparations that, that North Carolina and I forget the other states um, decided to, to invest in the community or, or, or start to have some, some reactions around building what a, a process would look like towards reparations? Uh, have y'all seen that, or and if so, what are what are your thoughts around that moving towards you know breaking the cycle and not allowing or rephrase uh, breaking the cycle and allowing you know when Isaiah Doe is old enough, we don't have economic injustices uh, across you know across the the nation. Because I'm a big believer that if we have mansions and people with a trillion dollars. We, we we got some smart individuals where we, you know, if we really wanted to, we could eliminate poverty. And I know the way that I'm doing it, you know, through 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 our our efforts and our programs uh, through technology. There's many different ways. Uh, but but what are your thoughts around around what's going on with reparations? Yeah, just uh, <clears throat> thank God for technology, right, and having access to the internet. I just um, googled. Uh, North Carolina reparations, and I see that it's coming out of Asheville. Uh, we actually, before we came to Texas, we lived in Cary, North Carolina. Uh, <clears throat> and when I went from Oakland, California to Cary, North Carolina, that's when I realized that the country is culturally different. Uh, we had a culture shock when we went into North Carolina and uh, <laughs> we experienced the Confederacy. Right. Uh, but but Asheville as a city is the one, as far as I know, like if you talk with people who know the area, Asheville is up in the mountains and it's known as a liberal bastion. But at the same time, it also has its um, its roots in in racism. So it's not as it's not as liberal as one would believe. And I think actually it's very similar in many ways to Austin, Texas. Um, but I'm looking at it here now, it says that Asheville's uh, city council voted in favor of issuing a formal apology for its participation in and sanctioning of the enslavement of black people. Uh, uh, how do I feel about reparations? I actually think that we should all be given land and uh, federal dollars for educating probably the next five generations of people. Um, and yes. and a yes. change yes. in our history yes. lessons. Right? So if we're going to hand out money, cool, but who, who are we going to spend it with? So, you know, what does the cash matter? But really, what I've seen, especially here in Texas, as they are selling their farms, right? These families got this money. These families received this land from the government to settle, right? Some of them may, may have spent $25. It's cats around here that be talking about how the land's been in their family for 200 years. 200 years ago, these acres of land was probably free, if not stolen, right? Because now we're going back to whose land was it first? Uh, and now they're selling their land 3.6 million for an acre, 50 million plus naming rights on, on these corporate developments. 
So if we are going to even try to repair the relationship of America, of, of Americans, repair the relationship of the country as it relates to its civilian population that, that are black, then uh, generational wealth is necessary. And we will not give, you cannot cut a check for generational wealth. But what you can do is give land and invest in, in the education to ensure that that education is either better or at least equal. Uh, so that we eliminate all these education gaps and this, that, and the other, and then they keep talking about how there's no pipeline. Cool, there's no pipeline. Then pay for people to stay where they are and pay for them to have good schools. And in two generations, let's see how quickly uh, uh, Black people turn it around as a, as a full group in the United States. Because we've already seen, right? Like there were already fully thriving communities that were then firebombed. Uh, we know that, that the communities were terrorized if the business owner was too successful. So we know what needs to be done. Uh, and I can appreciate an apology. Uh, and, you know, I don't know what else they're doing. I haven't looked into, I will have to get some, maybe what we can do next is get a guy from North Carolina on who's been kind of, uh, kind of involved. But I think just generically from a reparations perspective, as, as people are coming up with their great ideas, land and education would need to be top, top priorities, generationally. I think uh, I, I, I agree with, I agree with both of you all's points about it. But um, the one thing, one thing I would, I would add, a couple of things I would add. Uh, I would add options. There are definitely some people who would see land as attractive. And then there's other people who would see um, shares of stock. If, if there's a value put to how much is owed to a family or to an individual, have them be able to hand pick a stock and say, okay, I want my money in that. Um, avenues that are typically not available to those who have been most impacted by generational um, injustices. Uh, an option, just, just, you know, some people might say, you know, money to a college fund doesn't do us any good, but seed money into something that could turn into this. If we leave it there, we could cash out if we want. And the other thing that, that, that stock would do is target the businesses that can afford to give it away. I don't want reparations to come from a federal government or a local government that's going to just come back from taxes from those citizens. Because I pay taxes. I don't want to pay someone else's reparation. It should come from families and individuals and CEOs and, and people that have gained off of the capitalist society and have had enough wins where it's like, dude, just treat this like you had a fourth child and this is just the inheritance of the fourth child. Your other three are fine. Um, that that's a way I'd like to see it structured. And also, we got to educate our people on what to do once they get it. Otherwise, that money's going right back into retail, right back into the hands of the oppressors. Um, so I, I think there's a the whole program that should be attached to what to do now that you've got your 40 acres and a mule. 
Yeah, I agree with uh, both of you all as well. Uh, and and Donna, you already know the work that I do. I'm all about preparing the workforce for the jobs of tomorrow, uh, because through technology, I mean, in certain positions, your average salary could be anywhere from fifty to two hundred, two hundred thousand, hundred seventy-five thousand, hundred thousand. So it, it ranges all across the board, based on the skill set, the, the focus, the area, the industry. Um, so yeah, uh, it's all about providing those those different opportunities for people to learn new skill sets and that's relevant to be successful um, and agree with options uh, everyone's going to want a different pathway or figure out you know like what's good for them and because some individuals could, could take a, a lump sum and invest into business or product um, but yeah i say reparation does a good step in the right direction uh, and that uh, apology that, that apology is definitely welcome uh, kind of like what you said or you said appreciate it's like, yeah, okay, no, but there you go. It, it's a, by you know, admitting. And then we have the, the Redskins uh, changing their name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, so it goes back to what you were saying, Ish, about you know, there's something different about you know, this time because of how much visibility was and the fact there's less, less distractions. And here it is now, you know, conversation of reparations. Now, it definitely needs to be on a larger scale, uh, but there is you know, some movement you know, in that uh, – in that direction of justice uh, and equity. Definitely. And the, um, you know, the, the apology and just, just the admission of something existing. Um, I think it's huge. It's uncomfortable. Um, I'm working with, with quite a few groups in my, in my city and community, in my, my school um, community, where we are looking deep into white fragility. And and we are, you know, having those awkward conversations and those, oh my God, I never saw it like that. And you know, how could how could you even take that and and still smile? And you must think awful of me. And it's like, dude, I grew up a black man. I mean, I I, I came out all right. It's hurting you more than it's hurting me to learn what my people have been through. Um, to stand up and say that, to 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 have the uh, courage to to admit that you know you see it now that it took this long for you to see it to even to even think of seeing it that it was easy to turn that channel off to to live in this area to you know that that doesn't bother us that's a different that's a different dimension where that's happening nope it's happening and I, I think that that awakening is huge. We're, we're going through that awkward moment. And I think, you know, you know, if COVID passes and we're able to get back into the, the swing of, you know, regular life and dining situations and social situations and our workforce, I hope that we return with a better understanding for minorities and, and injustices and that we don't take our old selves back to our cubicles. Yeah. And that goes back into changing the entire process. Uh, so what what needs to be done? Everything that was done against uh, blacks, <laughs> we need to do for blacks, uh, yeah. and that and that's how you you start and move in that direction. Uh, and definitely about investing in the community, right? So here in Austin, you go to East Austin, you just look at, at some of the houses, right? Not all of it, uh, but you look at some of the houses. Then you go to the west side of Austin, and look at those houses, and there's a definite difference. In the, the types of houses that are in the predominantly white areas and the houses that are predominantly black areas or Hispanic areas, depending on the area or aspects of Austin. 
And and that's not the the society that I'm that I that I want to live by, right? As an American, when I'm like, oh, you know, when I think about, you know, what are the the standards of an American? You know, if I'm thinking about you know, me as an as someone who was born in this country, you know, what are the standards of American? It's like, oh, you have a house over your head, you have clothes on your back, food on your table, money in the bank, you know, family's okay, you're okay. Like it's all positivity and goodness. And I would want that for for everybody. Uh, but when we think and we see that the clear distinction, it goes back into, well, why is that the case? And that's the, that's the case because of the lack of economic investment for hundreds of years and the free labor that was created, uh, or that was slid, I should say, for hundreds of years. Uh, so we need to tip the scales back in the opposite direction and give whatever resources that area needs, because it's going to be different for every single area. So that goes back to having options, right? Because you may you may need to give you know financial assistance in one area. Maybe you need maybe they need time. Maybe it's policy change, right? That goes back into political power, economic power, and social power. Uh, we need to, we need to to be more more vigilant. We need to stop uh, the unnecessary debts. So we mentioned uh, law enforcement, but there's also in our hospitals. There's also the lives of individuals that are not being valued and respected. It, it goes back to we need reparations in, in, a, in various different ways across the board when it comes down to, you know, just goes back to humanity, you know, thinking about uh, and valuing that, that person and, and what was done to them, what is still being done to them, and what are the barriers that, that's there that makes it difficult for them to be, you know, either just like you or, or at least self-sustaining, right? And, and I say just like you, just in the sense of what you have, in the sense of what they don't have. Um. Yeah, definitely see the point there. Um, I, I think if, you know, if we're really looking at trying to even the playing field, there's, there's a part in this, uh, I, was, I was with a group and we got to speak to the author of uh, White Fragility and, and she was, uh, the moderator was a, a a principal from one of our high schools in the area, and she she talked about the the conflict with reparations is that the group that has one hundred percent of something losing just two percent of that one hundred percent is gut wrenching. It's 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 but it's mine, and if if you look into some of the Look into the souls of some of these people that are on video that feel you are in their space. This is my park. This is my neighborhood. Excuse me, do you live here? You're swimming in my pool. There's this belonging, this, this ownership. This is 100% my pool. And I don't even want to give you 2% for your child to enjoy it. And, and the, the first piece to making this transition is to say hey look first of all the way that this pool became yours are these historic facts we've got residential injustices we've got banking injustices um i was watching some documentary on how the housing projects were first uh kind of laid out and they, they made some in the city that were designed for people of color and some in the city were designed for whites and the the wait list was so large for the people of color that and the whites fled the city into the suburbs 
and they didn't want to live there. So blacks filled up all of them. So it was like, okay, that's interesting. But to accommodate the whites that were fleeing the city, the government would subsidize these houses. So now it's like, of course you're going to go out to the birds if you're getting that house for free. And like Donald said, that land, that property is just going to multiply in value. And now you, that's like a full-time career because now you can sell that house and have money for the family. How do you replicate that to a family in 2020 who's been impoverished for the last three generations and, and forced to grow up in these areas where the education system is not up to par, where the chances of getting gainful employment are not up to par? A check doesn't fix that. The system to fix that, you need a time machine. And it's, it's, it's hard to it's hard to make that person who's fighting for their, I, I want all 100%. It's hard, hard for them to see that the gains that they've had in life to get that 100% cost somebody else. <clears throat> yeah, I think, um, I think you make a very good point about the requirement of a society and then the requirement of an individual, more specifically, your coworker who believes and, and is true, right? They worked hard. They studied their ass off. They got into good school. They did everything they need to do. They, they deserve their job. Yes, you do deserve your job. However, your grandmother, or, or not even your necessarily grandmother, because then every now and then you run into those people like, my grandma came over with nothing. Like even Jeff Bezos, people like to talk about him because he's a billionaire now, but apparently he was adopted. He, he started off from like not much money. Cool. But he didn't get adopted by some black people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like no matter how smart you are, if you got adopted by some black people in the hood, you're not going anywhere unless you are cream of crop, and then you have this amazing story. Well, all of these run-of-the-mill standard, right, American people who happen to be white, they feel a certain way when we start talking about equity, when we start talking about diversity and inclusion, and when we start talking about systemic racism. Uh, I had a woman tell me, right, we were talking about, actually what we were talking about is this concept of the gender parity in the technology, right, and uh, the pipeline. And I've, I've made it, let's see, I'm more sensitive now to the statement by a woman in power saying that she is invested in 50-50 hiring. Because if you are invested in 50-50 hiring, that means 100% that gender played a role. But when we talk about race and ethnicity, now all of a sudden we're talking about affirmative action. But why can't I talk about 13% hiring? Uh, I want to talk about, I don't know, whatever the percent, I think 14, 14 to 20% of the United States is Hispanic and Latinx, right? Show me that 14% in hiring. Why can't I say that the same way we are allowed to say 50% gender parity? 
And the response was, we don't want to try to fix the wrongs right away. Wow. And it, it was said with grace and it was said unconsciously, but I don't think that they fully appreciate what they just said, right? What they're saying is, we know it's been bad for you, but just give us time and we promise to make it better. But that is a lie because if it were going to be better, it would be better right now. But, but like them as a, as a collective block, not like throwing white folks under the bus, but as a, as a social construct, that group is told that they are excellent from the beginning. Like I, I try to explain to people, uh, I let the kid, because the kids are mixed, right? I like to see cartoons that have mixed or interracial parent mixed children because the kids see themselves. But when I think back to my experience as a child, I watched all white television and then the Cosby show, but the Cosbys were doctors and they were married and there was a dad at home and they had multiple siblings and a house. You know what I mean? Like that shit was fake as far as I was concerned. So it didn't mean anything to me. Uh, but for your group, my peer, that would also be a, a young white man now, or a white man now with single mom uh, watching television, what he saw was himself being excellent, right? I don't think that black, this is just me personally, but I don't think black people were watching the Cosby show thinking, oh, I could be a doctor one day. And even if they were, the system's not allowing it, as opposed to these other students where they can go and be a doctor one day because they don't have the obstacles of ignorant ass teachers, shit ass education, and then your mom or your dad being forced out of their job because of discrimination. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's so many different, um, there's so many different vectors that you would have to unravel with people and they get defensive immediately. And then the conversation shuts down and there's nothing we can say anyway, cause we're not the ones in power. I'm still only two, what, you know what I mean? Like whatever percentage of we are inside the company, we not running shit. <laughs> All right, so, so this is my, uh, my, my strategy, man. And I, I know I'm saying this a lot for everybody, but, it, but this is the truth, man. So I'm from Miami and I'm not sure how much of a, of an impact it's had. I know it definitely does. I'm just not sure what percentage. It could be 100%, it could be 75, I'm not sure. Uh, but our group's seen everybody. Uh, I'm Jamaican, so we had a whole bunch of uh, Hispanics from Brazil, Colombia, Venezuelan. I remember going to school with, with Asians that were Korean, Japanese, Chinese, Indian, people from the Middle East. I mean, Europeans, like, like everyone from all walks of life, all from, from uh, uh, elementary up to college uh, when I was in Miami, even at UMC. So now when I think about, okay, well, what needs to be done from this perspective for us to really have the deep impact and change? It's all come back. It all goes back to like unifying the individuals, bringing everyone together over a common goal uh, about what, what that shared vision is and the life that we want to see for individuals uh, because the barriers are, are similar but different across communities. And I could talk about the Black and Hispanic community, right? So when we think about COVID right now, 
right now COVID has impacted if my if I remember my stats correctly, the the most black businesses. However, it has impacted the most um, black Hispanics individually by that by by deaths. Uh, so more more black businesses have been closed. However, more Hispanics has died from this virus. Um, and if we just think about that, instead of focusing on, you know, which one has it worse or, or which one's most impacted, it's like, hey, we are both impacted by this. Like, let's come together and let's address these challenges to make sure that neither one of our businesses are closing and neither one of our individuals um, from our community are dying, uh, which is why we're fighting so hard to get more mobile clinics in East Austin, uh, both because East Austin has black and Hispanic populations. Um, and, and a unification like that is what's number one, one of the things, one of the many things uh, that needs to be done in order to really see the long lasting change that we want to see because there are so many barriers that, um, that prevent us from, from getting to that next step. And when you think about when you mentioned the Cosby and looking at the Cosby saying, oh, you know, can I be a doctor one day? And I think about like, I never even thought about that. And I, that never crossed my mind about whether or not I could be a doctor. I just looked at it and was like, you know, look at this happy family. You know, happy family, you know, just, just, just positive regardless of what's going on. And even though they didn't have too much going on compared to a lot of other TV shows that, that was going on during that time. Uh, but it was just a, a cool, relaxed, in interesting show. But there wasn't that many black uh, families, right? Like it was Family Matters. It was Cosby, definitely Fresh Prince, um, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uh, but you knew the shows that you were watching that were the white shows and the shows that were the black shows, right? And you, and you sense the, uh, the difference of how the house or how the, the lives of those individuals were structured. Uh, but you always wanted to, to see yourself to envision, oh, you know what, that's something that I could be. Um, and, and right now with all the work that we do through Autumn, I never thought of myself being in technology. Like I didn't see like a black a black sales representative or a black um, ERG leader or or a black um, person working diversity, equity, inclusion, or having meetings uh, with with different organizations and city councilmen. Is like no, <laughs> that that's not what what I envisioned or what I saw. Uh, but if I did when I was younger, you know, who knows the type of person I would I would be right now which is why it's all about going back to exposing you know, our younger generation to as much as possible and removing as many barriers so we can actually prepare our individuals for what's next in whatever direction that is in our society uh, because that, that's what we truly need um, as far as next steps and what we're doing in those areas. And that's, a, that's, a perfect, um, that's a perfect example there. You know, we, we can all look back on what we saw growing up and who we saw ourselves in. And uh, I ran into a, a, a big person of influence a couple of years ago that said, um, you know, as you move through your personal journey, you want to make sure you got four people around you. They said one on the right, that's a yes person. That's just always going to agree with what you're saying. The opposite on the left, it's always going to challenge you and always going to say, uh, what about this? Um, just a naysayer, somebody that's going to make you step up. Uh, in front of you should be someone that you're chasing, that you're following, that you're using as a mentor, that you're looking at their example. And then never forget person behind you, someone that you're pulling up, someone that you're making sure that they've got you in their sights and, and you're able to mentor them. And I think that we are in a special place right now, considering the youth is hungry, the youth are hungry, the youth are 
intelligent, the youth are uh, accustomed to having things at their fingertips and they have knowledge and they have instant access to resources that they don't yet know how to hone. And it's, it's a lot of us look back and say, oh man, if I only had, oh man, if I didn't have to go to the library to look that up, oh man, if I didn't have to, you know, wait until I got to school to use a computer, if I had a cell phone in my pocket, all these different things that, that we look at and say, you know, you've got all this information at your fingertips and you're using it to watch twerk videos. This, this could be so much more productive and, and just trying to put that, that fire under the, the next generation to say, um, this, is, this is what the, the, the past has been battling. This is what your ancestors have been battling and, and you've got this power in your hand to change and make an influence and just hoping that they see it, hoping that they get it. So I got two comments on that. Uh, first is, you mentioned just about technology and some individuals having to go to the library or not have home internet access uh, for various reasons. Uh, shameless plug, uh, right now, uh, the organization that I lead, Autumn, Austin Urban Technology Movement, uh, we have a petition going on called Texas Technology for All. Uh, we were recently featured in Spectrum News. Uh, they did a story on us. Um, and the petition is demanding Governor Abbott to increase internet access and technology devices for those that are low income, underserved, and underrepresented. Because right nice. now there are there are students right now in East Austin, right? So we have our needs assessment, and our needs assessment says there's 14,890 students that do not have access to technology devices, and some of those do not have access to internet. And now here it is; they're supposed to be doing online work during the summer. And also yeah. for the fall, because some we're not going to open up for the schools. I know there's um, a lot of different situations and parameters around school opening ups. Um, some you could do online for the first four weeks. You know, some you can, some you can't. So um, it's definitely you know different across the board. However, not every student have the right resources that are needed to to be successful given this space. Uh, so our technology, our, our technology, te um, Texas Technology for All petition is demanding that. Uh, but it's also demanding for an increase in upskilling opportunities in technology. Uh, because why are we even having a conversation about students not having access to the internet? Well, it's because their parents can't afford the internet or it's not in, the, in their area, right? It, it, it's a lack of access and opportunity and, and the ability to make sure that they, they have it. Um, and we can even have the conversation around just because you have access to the internet, uh, doesn't mean it's, it's high enough quality or, or, or speed or strength, I should say, uh, because there has been several times that I've been in East Austin. Uh, I remember recently when, when there was one of, there was one of the, uh, the protests in the march that we were doing around the, the killing of Joy Floyd, Brandon Taylor, and several others. Um, I was trying to live stream in East Austin from IG, from, from Chaz, who was you know, right next to you know I could see him, but, uh, but I, I couldn't touch him because there was you know, thousands of people there. So I'm on live IG connected to my speaker to kind of create an, another area, a place that people could congregate, and the connection was bad. And I'm like, he's right there. I can literally see where he's, where they're streaming from, and yet I can't connect to that. Uh, so, yeah. so our petition is really demanding that, like, this is what reparation looks like, right? Well, let's remove the barriers. Let's give people access to the internet. Let's give people access to quality education. Let's give people access to, to food. Let's give people housing. Let's do these things 
to really create the, the foundation and the structure that is needed in order to, to really skyrocket and push things forward. Um, and then the second thing I was going to say, I think I lost my mind, lost it. I hope it comes back to it'll come back, but I lost <laughs> it. Um, but, but Donna, do you got, got any last minute thoughts or, or comments or questions before we close out? Yeah, I think, um, probably one of the things that we'll have to, we as a collective society and more specifically country, and then demographically split groups of people is market the concept of reparation and equality as being good for the entire country. Yeah. Uh, because I think, you know, we're all on a bunch of different text threads, but one of the questions that, that came to my mind was, <clears throat> you know, we are suffering, I'll use the word suffering from COVID right now, but we know that other countries are open. Uh, and we know that there are countries that have closed their borders to us. So those things are happening. And then in parallel, we don't know what we're going to do about our schooling. More specifically, though, our colleges, right? Uh, what we've told international students is that they cannot stay in our country if our schools are remote, the colleges are remote. And what generates the American dream, right? Take going back to a previous podcast and, and what, gener what, what uh, supports that pull of internet of the, let me say it like this, our economic engine and our brain power and our standing in the, in the world relies on people coming into the United States. If we stop allowing people into the United States, and our students aren't being educated because of our racial problems, the United States will take multiple steps backwards because we already talk about the United States being, you know what, this is probably for a different topic, but we talk about the US as if it's one of the top countries and then we say qualifications. Uh, for a top country, we sure have the highest rate of incarceration, we sure have the worst healthcare, we sure have the worst um, uh, education systems. We sure have the worst blank, 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 but we still talk about ourselves as high up. And the reason we've been able to do that is because we collect people from around the globe who have not been oppressed and raised in this environment. The United States, I believe, is at risk of system collapse if this continues because of the way we treat the quote unquote other. Uh, and so unless the United States as a group says, this is good for all of us, reparations is good for all of us, equal education is good for all of us, equal pay, right, for all of us. Uh, uh, <laughs> the people who will be able to flee will be able to flee. Otherwise, we'll be trapped in the United States. Oh, I, I remember, I'll leave it on this. <laughs> I used to watch this movie, it's a religious movie about, um, it's called Left Behind. And it is about uh, when Jesus comes back and takes all the followers and then all the sinners are left. That's how I feel about the United States right now. Like we'll kick everybody out, we'll, be, we'll have coronavirus trapped here. None of us will be able to go to school. No one will be able to work. 
and we won't be able to leave. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's very interesting that you say that um, because I, I've been, you know, witnessing that and I saw something about how the American passport right now is pretty much worthless. Uh, but when, when you mentioned about us taking, you know, steps back and the United States, uh, you know, closing borders and, and on the verge of a system collapse, I completely agree. Um, I forgot when I first started saying this about, you know, the, the United, the U.S. empire is going to fall. And like every empire, as you've seen from the Roman empire, the Greek empire, uh, you can go back to the Vikings, you know, everybody had their moment, has their moments in time. Um, but then, you know, things change, uh, you know, they, those that are in power can no longer control the, the base and things are just too, uh, too, too chaotic, too out of control. And there's a time and an end to everything. There's a beginning and end. Nothing lasts forever. Uh, but now it's all about ensuring, okay, well, what does that, that next other looks like? Uh, because right now we are in COVID and people say, oh, you know, after COVID, after COVID, I want to go back to normal. It's like, no, I, I don't want to go back to normal because normal was was based off awesome. the foundation of, of slavery and free labor and where, you know, blacks are at the bottom, you know, Hispanics, you know, you know, a little on top. That's my you know, personal opinion. And a whole bunch of other, you know, people of color in the middle. Uh, but it's like, you know, whites were always at the top. And that's not the society that, that I want to live in, especially where we have uh, our our, our, our our best qualities um, that we, you know, that we have right now, um, you know, aren't uh, anywhere compared when we compare them to other countries in terms of how they treat their citizens and then their people. Um, so when we really think about them, we look at that, say, okay, well, you know, how do we ensure the right resources for those most in need? You know, because some are going to leave, um, those that can, uh, but then there's going to be a, you know, kind of a new world order, right? If something else is going to rise up and. And there's definitely the younger generation, which I believe uh, Ish you commented on, um, with those that are active, those that are saying, you know, we need something different, um, and we're going to create that. We're going to ensure that there's a, a different outcome based on what we see, uh, because right now the current system in place does need to crumble uh, for something else uh, in order to take shape that is bigger, better, and more inclusive. Uh, but you know, when, when we start speaking like that, you know, things normally happen, as we can tell from history. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I, I don't. I don't have a crystal ball to say what's next. I'm. I'm just bracing for impact. And on that note, we're gonna close out of Culture Crawl ATX podcast. We thank you so much for listening, and we ask that you take this time to follow Culture Crawl ATX on Instagram and click that like button and follow on your favorite podcast listening platform.